I'm Kim Grinnells of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, and Luke Munger. We are at Husky Stadium where University of Washington defeated Arizona State 27-20 in front of a sellout crowd. Announced attendance 71,261 degree day on the shores of Lake Washington. It got a little chilly towards the end, especially with the wind kicking up. I'm guessing it game ended probably in the mid-50s, but... Uh, Football weather is definitely, definitely, definitely in the air. I thought it was a really well-played by game by Washington, but I think everybody was surprised on how much Arizona State ran the football. Were you expecting that? Um, no, I think Washington was expecting them to come out and throw the ball too, and uh, they didn't throw it very much. I mean, Manny Wilkins did put the ball up, I think, what, 27 times? Um, but... For only 101 yards, he wasn't going down the field. Washington really was over the top with everything. There were a couple misplays. Luke and I saw yeah. one where uh, Miles Bryant was over Nikhil Harry in the slot. If he had hit him, that could have been a 50, 60-yard play. I mean, it was scary. But he didn't even look that way. It was The read was on this side. So, um, But anyway, uh, that being said, you know, Washington, they allowed 98 yards in the first half. And in the second half, what was it? They had 164 altogether. So what is that? 60, 69 well, they had, they had or whatever. 268 total. Yeah, 268 total. But in, in, I'm talking. 164 rushing. Yeah, 164 rushing. They had 98 in the first half. So I thought in the second half they did a much better job of getting their run fits, um, not not necessarily being as sieve-like as they were in that first in that first uh, half. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you t- take a look at it, Arizona State had uh, 40 carries mm-hmm. and then 27 uh, passing attempts. It seemed a lot more lopsided it on did. the run like that. And it maybe did. that was because of the passes at the end of the game. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, and, you know, I mean – they they went right down the field on that last uh, touchdown drive. That, that was a little concerning. But, uh, you know, Washington bowed up. And, and uh, I'll tell you what, that play by Andre Bocelli, um, I, I personally think it was a catch, but I don't know how you overrule the call on the field because the angle that the, the refs were looking at, the back angle where you could have seen if his foot was actually in was blocked, and the one – Behind him, you can see his foot down, but you don't see where the toe is. Let me add some context to that. You're not seeing what the refs are seeing. Okay. You know, it's kind of strange. Utah, down, I said this last week, we were watching real time what the refs were seeing, backing up and forward, you know, and um, they're not showing that on TV and they're not showing it in the stadium. So the refs are seeing, I don't know why they're not showing it here, but they're not. Okay. So well, that could have just been the case down at Utah. We don't know if that's the case up here. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. Um, well, you can see the way that down there, you can see the way that um, it was almost like it was on the dial, you know, where they were mm-hmm. taking it forward, taking it back, and then slowing it down. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the biggest surprise today, more so than them running the game, Nikhil Harry. I mean, who's just a monster. He's he's a big-time NFL player. He's going to be a first-round draft pick. Uh, five catches for 20 yards. His biggest play was that punt return. And that was a perfect punt by Joel Whitford. And he should have been tackled at the three-yard line. Four times. Yeah. Yeah, Pete said there were four missed tackles yeah. on that. So, And, and who, it's hard to tackle a guy who's 6'4", 225 pounds. But, I mean, that, that was a key play because that sent them on their drive. Yeah, and, you know, just, you know, I've had a chance to talk to him a couple of times. And I think you talked to him uh, during the recruiting process. He's as nice a kid as you ever yeah, want to talk to. Absolutely. You know, he's a good kid. He's not, uh, you know, he's not a... 
you know, whatever you want to call it, but he's just a really, really good kid. So, um, like I said, you know, but, uh, you know, I just want to give a message to all the people that are bashing and complaining about Ben Burkirvan. Shut the hell up. Shut the hell up. He had 20 tackles. He had two, uh, two, um, uh, two forced fumbles. He had a hell of a game. You know, there may be things that he doesn't do, but you know what? He gives you everything he's got. He had 20 tackles. He was defensive player of the week last week, and I expect him to be uh, that again. And you can pick people apart all you want, but uh, Ben Burkirvan, 20 tackles, two forced fumbles, a fumble recovery, and he probably could have had a couple more. Well, all I know is Chris Peterson pointed it out, and he's the stats for losers guy. So clearly the stats aren't for losers when your guy goes for 20 tackles. Stats are for losers unless they're to your benefit. Correct. <laughs> it's just like stars, stars are for losers. Yeah, you know, my four-star guy. But um, uh, Jake Browning, I thought, played within himself quite a, uh, and I thought Jake had a pretty good game. Yeah, well, a couple things we were talking about up here is, uh, first of all, he, he looked very decisive. He, he wasn't holding the ball for too long, and then when he did try to evade pressure – he never went backwards, which was awesome. He stepped up a lot uh, and, at the very worst case, kind of flushed out and rolled out but wasn't ever really going backwards. He took one sack for two yards. Uh, and, like, yeah, it, he, he looked good. Yeah. I thought he played very well. All I was going to say is that, is that when we talked to Bush Hamden after the game, Bush confirmed that they really focused hard on that this week. So that, you know, because I said, I said, when we were looking at it from upstairs – it really looked like he was thinking, okay, I'm kind of stuck now. I'm doing, I've got to do everything I can to go forward instead of back. And he said, yeah, that was, that was clearly on purpose. I mean, we talked about that a lot and we tried to find escape routes for him and tried to find, you know, outlets that he could get the ball to like, you know, Gaskin was available on some plays and, and some things like that. So I thought overall that aspect of cleaning up what was, uh, what had been a problem at Utah, for instance, I thought they did a nice job of cleaning that up. I thought he put the ball perfectly in several. There were a couple perfect passes by him. The the near touchdown to Quentin Daniel or Quentin uh, Pounds. Pounds. He I, that was a hell of a throw, and had, he yeah. should have had that. You, I've actually got a picture of it that, from USA Today, and the ball is right there in his hands. Now it's a tough catch, but you got to make that. I mean, you need to make that. And then the second one was the throw to Bocelli to extend the drive and basically go and, you know, to basically allow them to run out the clock. And um, that, what about the Ty Jones throw? Yeah, that was another nice one. I, I think that was a better catch than it was a throw, but still, it's still a heck of a throw too. But I just thought, most of the night, he was putting the ball right where he wanted it and in where it needed to be. Also, extending the play. You know, uh, tell me what you saw. You guys had a better angle up above the rollout, escaping, and throwing that to uh, Kate Otten, which I thought was just a beautiful play. Yeah, he oh, yeah. he really he really did delay that basically as long as he possibly could have. I mean, if that play goes another half second, that ball's going out of the end zone. How Close. I mean, I couldn't see where I was at, and they didn't show the replay. How close was uh, Kate Otten to being out of bounds? Oh, it looks oh, like he had two. He was, he was, he was right there. As, he I was going to say, there and tiptoed. He was just as close as Bocelli was. Yeah. I mean, though, that was tippy toe. Two feet in. Well, yeah, you yeah. have two feet. In. Yeah, but I mean that was tippy toe. I mean he was right on the edge. And I talked this morning about Kate Ott, and I talked you know, on our radio show. I talked about Kate Ott and really stepping up, and um, I think he's got a really bright future. He's a big kid. Yeah, he's um, big. Fetters and I actually kind of commented on it together, kind of at each other at the same time about the block that he had on that backside um, that allowed Browning on. 
No, that was the one to Aaron Fuller for 30 yards because uh, that was a long developing play. He had to drag all the way across the field, and and um, Otten took on a linebacker and basically walled him off all the way to the back, allowing Browning to step up. Drew Sample with a couple nice catches again yeah. today. The tight ends are having a really good. Jacob Kaiser is hasn't been uh, you know heard from much, but Kate Otten and uh, Drew Sample I think are just having fantastic years right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, they really are. Yeah. Um, also, um, it was great to see Trey Adams on the sideline. Mm-hmm. Um, he's in street clothes, but uh, great to see Trey. Um, he's walking around pretty well. So Yeah, and we talked to a lot of people, and just, you know, it's been pretty much out there. But uh, he did have lower back surgery. Evidently, it was, uh, you know, what I'm hearing, you know, from a pretty good source is um, it was something to do with the disc. Um, there's a chance he could be back at some point this year. He could play four games, but uh, uh, make no mistake about it, he's going to redshirt. He may play in those four games, but uh, he's going to redshirt, and I don't think they're going to do anything because when you've got a back injury like that, um, I've got to imagine that you're not able to work out and lift weights as you once were. Oh, definitely not, no. So, so you're not going to be as strong. But uh, offensive line today, I thought, Scott, was uh, a little bit more cohesive than it was a week ago. Well, I wrote about it in uh, my game analysis. It was the best game of the season for the for the offensive line, in my opinion. There were no noticeable miscues or missed assignments. Um, whenever they needed to get some yardage, they were able to push forward and get that yardage. Um, I, what did they have? Only three punts uh, today and um, just the one turnover on that very first play. So obviously the offensive line was doing what they needed to do. 170, what was the yardage um, for the off for the well they, their total uh, yardage was 373 but they had 202 passing 171 rushing so and I thought they kept Jake Browning pretty clean for the, other than the two yard sack and that was because he held the ball a little longer than he needed to getting back to you know Jake um, I think the number was 39 percent of the time this year that Arizona State was blitzing I asked Jake about that at the end of the game. He goes, yeah, I think it was higher than that. Tell me what you guys saw. Cause like I said, I'm down on the field level. Tell me what you saw, you know, from could you see them uh, blitzing, a, you know, uh, faking coverage? Tell me what you guys saw. Was Jake checking down on some of those? Tell me what you saw in that terms of the blitzing and Jake checking down and all of that. Well, I just, I just again, we heard all week Chris Peterson, Bush Hamden, those guys, uh, uh, Coach Huff, you know, they were all talking about how this is kind of, you know, you're going against kind of controlled chaos, and you're you're having to kind of figure out how you can man up, and you've got to have great eyes, and you've got to really be able to focus on your assignment because they're going to try to trick you up. They're going to try to play different games. They're going to try to load, you know, different sides of the 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 uh, lineup. And uh, I thought overall, Arizona State, I don't think they got hardly any pressure. Um, at all, um, I think there was the one sack that did Brownie take a sack or yeah, one, two yards, yeah. and two it was yards. and it was a two yard, but he st- even but even then he stepped up, he kind of minimized the damage. You know, it was it was one of those where maybe he should have probably t- you know gotten rid of the ball a little bit quicker. But again, um, I thought overall they really mitigated the kind of the threat, I guess you could say, of that of that stack defense and and kind of the the what they would call the controlled chaos of, of them trying to rush the passer. Yeah, and I thought another thing that, that Jake did well was especially, and this is what I guess you'd expect a fourth-year starter quarterback to do against a defense that's going to bring a lot of different pressures, is he did a really good job of, with the help of the offensive line giving him time of taking what was available. Because if you're going to bring five or six guys, 
are going to be parts of the field that are uncovered. So whether that's, like you said, Kate Otten lays a good block, gives time for him to find Aaron Fuller 30 yards downfield, or he steps up in the pocket and checks down to Miles Gaskin because no one's over there and he picks up like 12. Uh, that I mean, just that's the kind of stuff you expect to see from a fourth-year quarterback against a defense that's going to try to dial up all these different pressures. And I think it was very encouraging to see him kind of step up and I guess get over those uh, those struggles that he's had with, with trying to evade the pressure backwards and and, and being decisive and all of that stuff. I would say, I would add too that even though it was clear that they were more focused on checking down and trying to take the stuff that, that ASU was willing to give them. You know, they still had three plays of 24 yards or more in the passing game. So, you know, you had the pass to Ty Jones. You had the pass to Aaron Fuller you talked about. Um, you had the pass to Kate Otten. You know, there were some things in there that they could, you know, that they could get. And they took advantage sometimes, but they weren't, they weren't trying to be greedy, I guess is maybe the word to use tonight. They were um, very efficient in it, like you said, with only three punts. In the game, I thought they were very, very efficient, even though, you know, they only scored 20, um, Seven. 27 points. But, you know, it, it really felt like it should have been a higher-scoring game because both offenses seemed to kind of have their way yeah. at times with the defenses. But they just, you know, red zone issues again with both teams. But, and, well, both teams scored in the red zone. Both teams were two. Well, uh, well Arizona State was two and two. Goals, but there were, yeah. sometimes you had to settle for yeah. field goals. Arizona State was two for two in the red zone. Washington was five for five, I believe. Yeah. So. Right, and uh, five for five in the red zone, and three out of five uh, were in touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Just taking a look down the stat sheet, net yards rushing, Washington with 171, uh, ASU with 164. Uh, total offensive plays, Washington only had 62. That seems a little bit you know, light where we're seeing in the low 60s for Washington's plays. Maybe do a little bit of research on that. I think that's – I think that bodes to the efficiency, to be mm-hmm. honest. I mean, now granted, I noticed that Washington didn't get a three and out defensively until late in the third quarter. Yeah, it was late third quarter. It was late third quarter. I don't know when Washington had their first three and out, other than obviously they had the right. pick and the very first play of the game. But outside of that, I'd have to go back and look. But I thought both offenses were so efficient that there weren't many opportunities. You look at look at the third down conversions, right? Yeah, instance. I'll get there. Uh, you know, Washington was 62 plays, um, Arizona State with 67. Third down conversion, and I think uh, Arizona State converted four out of the first five uh, third down conversions. Arizona State was 8 of 16. That's 50%. Uh, Washington was 5 of 11. Uh, red zone chances again. Arizona State 2 for 2. Washington 5 of 5. Um, the, uh, Can I make a mention real quick? Yeah. The, it seemed like they were facing – Arizona State was featuring, facing a lot of third and shorts, like three or less mm-hmm. in a lot. And that's why they were, they were able to get to those – you know, that percentage of the four out of five of their first ones I and did, things like I that. I did ask Jimmy Lake about that because if you noticed, their base personnel were in the game a lot. They didn't rotate hardly anybody. Oh. And he said that was because – they were in third and two, and they had the, the run-pass threat. So they had to have their, their number one guys in there to be able to kind of handle both of those objectives. So that was that was interesting. For Arizona State, uh, Eno Benjamin. Uh, is it Eno? Eno. Eno Benjamin. Uh, uh, Eno, whatever. 26, tw- <laughs> 26 carries, 104 yards. And just a surprising stat line, again, Manny Wilkins, 17 of 27 but 17 completions for only 104 yards. Uh, he had a long 104. 
one. With a long of 20. And then Nikhil Harry, five catches for um, 20 yards. Miles Gaskin, 21 carries. Again, you know, right around 21 carries. What you'd like to see for Miles for 86 net yards. Savan Ahmed with uh, 10 carries for 71 yards. Kamari Pleasant came in and had a couple of nice carries. He had uh, three carries for 18 yard with one nine yard run. Uh, Aaron Fuller, three catches for a total of 50 yards, a touchdown. Kate Otten, three catches, 40 yards, and a touchdown. Ty Jones, two catches, 43 yards, and a touchdown. And another stat that was kind of surprising, uh, Joel Whitford. Nice to have Joel back. Uh, as a punter, he had three punts, and he averaged. What would you guess he averaged? Oh, I know what he averaged, so I'm not sure. 49.3 yards yeah. per punt. So, 55-yard uh, long. Yeah, so. you know, so uh, Joel Whitford was booming them. And when you go to the defensive stats, you know, just, you know, what more do you need to know? Ben Burkirvin with 20 tackles, 14 of them were solo. Uh, he had a, um, a half a tackle for loss and then two force fumble with a fumble recovery. So Ben Burkirvin, mm-hmm. stat leader, and I think he's obviously got to be the yeah, player of the like, game. There were like those, six other people at say, our five other those, people. Of those 20 tackles, 14 were solos. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No one on the team had more than seven total tackles. I know. So, I mean, he had double the number just in solo tackles. That, I mean, that really does tell a story. Well, another part of that story is Greg Gaines with seven tackles. Uh, six of those were in the first half. Yeah, Greg Gaines was doing yeoman's duty in this game. I mean, he just – I don't know if he came – I don't know if he took a series off. I'm sure he probably did, but I didn't notice it. He was out there at nose tackle the whole time just pounding away. And uh, that guy, that you know, if if not for Ben Burkirvin's big numbers, I would have probably given it to Greg Gaines because the work he did up front. Yeah, I mean, no doubt that Greg Gaines, Jalen Johnson, Shane Bowman, Levi Onzerike, I mean, those four were in there a ton, mm-hmm. a ton tonight. You didn't see a lot of John Clark. You didn't mm-hmm. see a lot of other guys in there. Um, no, From what I could tell in the participation chart, there was no true freshman that played tonight. Again. So this was a game mm-hmm. where they – Felt like they had to play their base guys because of the way these third downs were shaken down. And, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see how uh, how that goes with some of these two freshmen. I don't think they played any first-year players uh, last week either, did they? I don't think so either. So kind of interesting. Again, uh, Julius Irvin and Kyler Gordon were not suited, and those are two guys that I expected to play. So, um you know, so it's going to be interesting. We'll do a little workup on the freshmen that have played so far because it sure hasn't been many so far this year. Are you a little surprised with that, Scott? Yeah, I thought we'd see more, but honestly, I think with the way Washington is depth-wise, they don't need to. Yeah, and and that's what we're starting to see. Yeah, um, some recruits today um, for the basketball team. Isaiah Stewart was here. Um, he's a six-nine, two hundred and forty-five pound power forward. Um, you know, out of New York, real close with Nas Carter, and he was down on the sidelines, and he is a big, big kid. Uh, like I said, 6'9", 245, really broad shoulders, just looks really muscular. Uh, he was hanging around with Will Conroy quite a bit. You know, Will was running the show down there. Looks like he had quite a bit of the family in, too. Uh, Brew McCoy, did you see Brew McCoy? I didn't. I did not see him. I didn't see him either, so. Uh, I'm sure he was there. Don't Nobody panic, it's, oh, but God. we just didn't see him. Don't tell him not to panic. What else would they do? Yeah. <laughs> Sam Adams, uh, kid from Eastside Catholic, I saw them. And any other notable, Garen Hatchett was here. Uh, the kid who... Guard Yeah, the uh, commit from Idaho for the class of 2020 was here as well. He's the well. only commit from 2020 right now. Yeah. Uh, Dylan Morris was here. Nate Kalepo was here. 
Um, Simon Brothers were here. Simon Brothers, Julius and, and Julian. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Jaden and Julian were here. Um, I'm trying to think of some other ones. Sterling Stokes, Stokes. who I didn't. Yeah, I, I didn't know who he was. Tight end from class of 2020. Okay, so another yeah, kid, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, there are there are a good number of recruits here. I don't know how many are guys that Washington's really after, but those are the those are the guys who are here. I, and we did know that uh, there's um, a defensive lineman or offensive lineman from uh, Oregon that was supposed to come up on an unofficial as well. Um, yeah, there's no one Nelson. Yeah, Is that who it was? no, it was. Oh, no one else is. A, I think he's the linebacker from McNary. Yeah, so I'm talking about the the, the an Islander uh, kid oh, for okay. the so. Oh yeah, yeah, Talesa. Pe- yeah, Talesa. So, um, but he's not really a guy that's high on their list at this point. Greg Carruthers, Joe Lobendon saw Joe Lobendon before wow. the game. Yeah, he looks like he could still play. He's just he's no uh, neck. He's a trunk. Oh, he's a trunk. Yeah. He's a tree trunk, <laughs> but uh, good to see Joe. So and you saw Levon, right? Coleman did not doing bow down to Washington at the end. He he directed the band. I did not see Levon. I wish I had. He got cut by the Seahawks here uh, about a week ago. So um, not sure what's up with Levon, but I'm sure he'll be fine and land on his feet. So final thoughts, Scott Eklund. Um, the team uh, needed a good uh, week from Jake Browning. They got it. They needed a good week from the offensive line. They got it. And their defense continues to improve and, and, and be good. I think this was an overall team win, solid win against, a, you know, Arizona State aren't a bunch of world beaters, but they're not bad. That is not a bad team that Washington beat they tonight. So they do, and a lot of talent on that team. So um, I, I think Washington fans should be real happy with a 3-1 and one start. I think if you told them after four games they'd be 3-1, and one, I think most people would be pretty darn happy with that at this point. And uh, that's where Washington is. Now you kind of get into your meat of your schedule because over the next five, six weeks, you've got uh, BYU, you've got Oregon, you've got UCLA and Oregon back-to-back, actually, road games. You've got Stanford up here. That's going to be a really important stretch for Washington because once you get past those teams, then you can kind of – I'm not saying take it off – but you can kind of start to see where Washington's going to end up in the whole playoff picture and possibly bowl picture. Luke Munger, final thoughts? Um, I thought it was encouraging to see the Huskies take care of business in a game where it looked like things were flowing better offensively, but by no means did they, like I guess, cash in on all the opportunities they had. They essentially spotted Arizona State seven points right off the bat, turning the ball over on the first play, and then uh, on two red zone drives that ended up in field goals, it was a, a, a ball bouncing off of Quinton Pounds' hands away from being a touchdown there, and then Chica McClatcher dropped the ball on a screen that looked like he might have had some room to run after that. So like, it looked like the Huskies, like for how well they were moving the ball and for the fact that they spotted Arizona State seven points, it felt like, I don't know, the most comfortable seven-point win in program history. I don't know how else to say it. But, you know, like... I never really felt like Washington was threatened in this yeah, game. Yeah, no, it wasn't until yeah. after the Nikhil Harry punt return and they scored. It's like, wow, this is actually a close game. <laughs> so, and it was weird. And that miracle catch on the sidelines to, yeah. to get it. So, But, yeah. yeah, good conference win. Chris Fetters? Uh, yeah, I would just say, you know, actually I would give hats off to, to Arizona State. I think they came in with a good game plan offensively. I think they definitely caught Washington off guard a little bit defensively in terms of the way they ran the ball. Um, but again, I think it's this is a credit to Washington staff. Um, you know, they needed to clean some things up with Jake Brown in the offensive line after the Utah game. They did that, and it showed up. I think they'll clean some of the things up defensively. The tackling all of a sudden became a little bit of an issue in space. They'll clean that up. 
and they're going to need to because BYU is going to come in. They're a tough team, and they're they're going to try to run the ball and do some things with a with a very veteran quarterback in Tanner Mangum. So um, again, I, I, hard fought win. I think it's really. You know, again, ASU has turned out to be a lot better team, I think, than than at least I anticipated for sure. And so, you thought they were going to be good? No, no, I did not. Okay. So, you know, it's just one of those things where, again, I think a really good conference win, it's not going to really show up as a big time win. They're probably not going to move up in the polls or anything because of it. But again, you just rack them up and rack them up and see where you end up at the end of the season. Only the second home game this year in Husky Stadium. It was rocking and rolling, sellout crowd, and, uh, Boy, what about the zone? You know, everybody's complaining about uh, everybody packed in the zone at halftime and people not coming back. Well, still about, you know, five to 10,000 people didn't come back after halftime because they go out to their cars. But, uh, you know, the place was, it was loud. It was as loud as I've heard it in the past couple of years down there. And I'm expecting another sellout next year, next week for BYU with a 5.30 start, better than the 7.30 start. And then um, it'll be interesting. We don't have a game time for UCLA yet. No, we don't. We'll get it on Monday, yeah, most, Monday likely. most likely. Yeah, it's just good to be back in Husky Stadium and have it electric in here and have it loud. So, um, and just a reminder, if you want those daily updates and uh, as well as breaking news in your inbox, huskystadium at gmail.com with subject line newsletter. Just send us a note. We'll get that uh, out to you. Uh, Sports Radio 950 KJR will be on 7 to 8. There was problems again with the podcast today. If you want to hear us on the radio, tune in live. Don't depend on the com- the podcast. We have no control over that. It's the only way you're going to make sure to you know get the information that we're doing on the radio is to listen live. We can't guarantee a podcast on that. We have no control over it. So, so 7, 7 to 8 Wednesday. 7 to 8 on Wednesday, yeah. So for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds along with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, and Luke Munger. Go dogs.